This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high-achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast-paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt, this is a podcast about heroes, which is why you're here. Thank you, Sorry. <laughs> It's so weird to think of myself that way or to be called that. It's so, I don't know if you ever get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool though, Got right? it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> Excellent. So tell us, how do you start your day? Oh, I am not a morning person. Starting the day is always the hardest part of the day. My days are generally pretty meeting meaningful, but I'm like a roll out of bed, you know, brush my teeth, run into the office kind of person. So Got it. not a lot of real dart to the morning. It's just like jump right in. Do you go into the office or are you working remote? I work remote most mostly, but I travel okay. a fair amount. So my office time is generally when I'm in somebody else's office <laughs> at one of our locations around the world. Mm-hmm. Got it. But where do you record your show? Because we have a pro on today. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I would go that far. But um, yeah. our show is recorded usually at Eaton Center in Cleveland. So we do um, our video production oftentimes mm-hmm. there. And then yeah. the podcast is recorded at the same time. Yeah. And we're talking, of course, about the making of what matters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it's also not. weird to call that my show, but I guess, <laughs> but I guess it is. <laughs> Can you give us nice. the background? How did it, how did it come to be? Yeah. So as we were planning a few years ago around how we wanted to really build more brand awareness, how we wanted to think about big topics that were influencing in our industry and our customers, we thought what better way than to introduce some of the leaders around our organization to our customers and to talk about the ways that we're thinking differently about some of those topics. And we thought interesting way to do that would be through a video series that then also translates to a podcast. And it's really our opportunity, my opportunity to sit down with some of our leaders and talk about the really cool things that are happening at Eaton. But I think more importantly, how does that impact the industry? How is it impacting our customers? Like, what can they learn from some of the things that we've already gone through that will hopefully help them in their journeys to electrify or to digitalize or to, you know, integrate more renewables in their operations? So it's become a really fun thing. We were doing it, we started it pre-pandemic, took a little break (laughs) in the beginning part of the pandemic, and then came back and did a couple episodes virtually where we were just doing it similar to this. And now we've tried to get back face-to-face where we can. That's great. great. And how did it fall in your lap? Or how did you become the host MC <laughs> of it all? I don't know how that <laughs> happened, honestly. So we were talking about new ways, like let's do this video series. And then, you know, our team, uh, our the agency partner team that we were working with and my team were like, well, you should just do the interviews. Like I've been at Eaton for, well, I see I just had, this summer was 20 years. At Eaton, Um, sometimes it feels like forever and sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. I have a pretty extensive knowledge of our business and they said, hey, with that and kind of my ability to have a conversation with people, (laughs) we could kick it off that way. And it's it's worked well so far. Very cool. Wonderful. I like that. So that was the origin story of your show, which I'm going to call your show. 
what's your origin story? How did you how did you start in your journey to become the hero that we're talking to today? So I um, went to school for marketing. I actually have a degree in international business and marketing and um, actually started at Eaton as an intern. So I was still in university and I had one semester left of school and I knew I wanted a marketing internship that would hopefully turn into a job. But throw the caveat in there that I was, did my second to last semester abroad in Paris, so which was fantastic opportunity and certainly a piece of advice I give to any college students, if you have the opportunity to go and spend time abroad, it opens your eyes to so many things about yourself that you learn about yourself, about mm-hmm. who you want to be and how cool the rest of the world really is, how much there is to learn. World gets bigger and smaller, huh? Absolutely. I was in the predicament of finding an internship back home while I was living abroad. And there were not a lot of opportunities really where companies were kind of willing to to remote interview. It was pre, so now I'm going to age myself, but pre-video conversation, Mm pre-opportunities to do things like this. And having grown up in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, um, I knew of Eaton. Go Badgers. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Go I I am also a Badger. So not only having grown up in Wisconsin, but actually am a Badger. So I had an opportunity to, to interview for like a marketing specialist role at Eaton and came back home after my semester abroad and started working in the organization and really loved the culture. Made some of my best friends in the organization, met my husband in the organization. So it's been very good to me so far. I might be an an anomaly in some instances, having spent my whole career in one company, but that's not really an anomaly at Eaton, which I think Mm. also tells you something about the culture of the company. You've got a lot of longer tenured Mm. leaders in the organization. And so you get to know a lot of people. I've got a pretty extensive network, but you also get to learn, you get to know the business really well. So being there that long. And I think that is one of the best things a marketer can have in their back pocket. Oh, for sure. You've got all the historical (laughs) intel too. I mean, how often, you know, during the day, are you like, you know what we used to do, or you know what we tried once? Imagine it comes up quite a bit. Probably have that email somewhere in my archive. I remember when we worked on that. Yeah. So it's Mm. a really, um, having some of that background is super helpful. And one of the things I really instill in my team is a deep understanding of kind of the commercial realities of the business. Mm. How do things actually get sold, mm-hmm. right? How do our salespeople really work? What are our customers actually trying? What problems are they trying to solve? Mm. And so having come up through the business, that's a great way to learn those skills, right? To, to really be able to then put them into practice in marketing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Fantastic. Since you've been deeply embedded in such a large organization for so long. I'm really curious to hear your answer about how do you manage upwards, sideways, down to make things happen in a a role, a department that's a joint, if you will, inside of the organization, the body of it? Yeah, it's a a great question. And I think, you know, every person would probably answer it a little bit differently. But one of the great things about having grown up in the organization is that you build a brand, right? So if you think about the work that we do for Mm -hmm. our companies, that's also something we need to do for ourselves, right? So how do you build a brand, particularly for a marketer, as a problem solver, as someone who's willing to roll up their sleeves and get the work done, right? Or dig into a problem Mm -hmm. by raising your hand and taking on hard challenges that you're not sure you can do, 
right? But you figure out how to get it done. And I think that being able to build that personal brand in an organization certainly has, for me, helped to navigate some of those managing upwards, managing downwards, managing laterally. And I think there's a lot to be said for building relationships that help you get the job done. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So with a career spanning 20 plus years-ish, how have you seen marketing change over the course of your career? Wow. It's, again, dating myself. But like social media wasn't a thing when I went to school, right? Like when I started in the organization, like no same companies weren't on social, right? It's same. video wasn't as big as it is now. Technology was nowhere close to enabling us to leverage data in ways that we could do today to better target our audiences. I feel like it's a whole different function than it was when I started out. And one of the things that I pride myself on and that's something that's helped me really grow in my career is being open to learning, right? It's understanding that nothing in our space is static. And so as much as we can learn that we can figure out how to leverage new tech tools, right? Or what's coming next, that gives us an opportunity to really help, in our case, drive our company forward, do new and cool things that you know other people aren't doing yet. But it's wholesale different. I feel like yeah. integrated marketing campaigns, IMCs were like just a thing, like just starting to be a thing when I was coming up in marketing. So, and now what else do we do but integrated campaigns? Now, integrated campaigns mm -hmm. are omni-channel campaigns, right. right? And we just see this evolution in, in this space, but it's also really, really exciting because there's so much opportunity to learn and to try new things and to be the hero in your organization. I think that's mm -hmm. really a cool place to be. Mm -hmm. How do you keep on top of it with everything changing so rapidly? How do you stay up to date? A lot of things. I mean, I am a big reader. So anything I can get my hands on, whether it's books or articles, certainly following other leaders in the space is a great way to learn keeping on top of ideas that others have. And I found that building personal relationships with other people in marketing, right, is a great way, you know, bouncing ideas off each other, being part of an industry association where you can talk with like-minded people gives you some great insight into, you know, what others are doing or what the next thing coming might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Leverage your community. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So what advice do you have for the next generation of marketers? A couple of things I would say. So the first is be open to not following a traditional path, particularly in large organizations. And, and Eaton was this way and in some ways still is, right? There's not always the perfect next job, right? It's not always like, here's the step. So if you think about a lot of other functions, there's like, okay, you, you start here and then you take the next job and there's a, a really direct career ladder. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes in marketing, there's not, mm. right? There's so many sub functions of the function that being open to getting off your ladder and moving to the ladder next to yours is really important. That doesn't necessarily mean out of the function, but maybe out of the direct line you thought you were going in. One of the things that I've been able to do in my career is make jobs for myself, right? Mm. Or find opportunities where there's a problem that's not being addressed and being able to build the case for, I should be able to help the company solve that, 
And then it opens the door to a new role and the next step in your career. So looking for those opportunities where someone's not solving a problem that you think could really help drive the business and then figuring out how to tell the story for why you would be the right person to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Can, can I just probe a little bit deeper on yeah, that? Because sure. I've, I've recommended that to staff. I've heard that from other people. And I know a lot of people who've been very successful. I've also seen it get quashed for reasons that, yes, there's a need, but we don't have budget or now it's not the time or we're actually decreasing staff, not increasing staff. Do you have any tips or tricks for the people listening of how to craft that story and succeed in spite of contracting resourcing, contracting budgets, more competitive landscape, all the stuff that holds us back, all the headwinds? A lot of it, I think, comes down to what outcomes are you going to be able to drive, right? So if you can prove, prove, right? But if you can show evidence that the work that you would do in that space would help drive more pipeline or drive more efficiencies or drive cost avoidance. So I think oftentimes as marketers, we tell stories and we're great at storytelling, but we don't always connect it to an outcome well, particularly when we're talking about our own careers, right? We do it really well in the, in the work that we do for our companies, but we forget to do it for ourselves. So I think that being able to articulate what the outcome really would be is important. The other thing of it is, and this isn't always easy to accept, but sometimes you got to start doing, right? So pick a piece of something that you know is a gap and show the results that you can make, even if it's not technically your job. One of the things I think is really important and has helped me in my career is I don't like the phrase, like that's not my job. Certainly there are, we can't all do everything, right? But being a person who is willing to help figure things out, whether it's directly in your span of influence or control or not, I think that shows your leaders that you're capable of doing more, of doing better, of doing bigger. And that makes them more comfortable then in saying, okay, like when I have room in my budget, like when I can make that call, that's something that I want to do to see growth in this employee who's willing to put the time and effort and you know, blood, sweat, and tears into helping do things better. That's yeah, great. That's Thank great. You, Danny, uh, Zari's reminding me of Kat Steiner Noreen's episode and where she talked about rolling up your sleeves and doing the gnarly work that the business needs. Sometimes that it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. a tile. Right. You're not sure what you're doing. It might be a little more visible than you'd like while you're practicing trying something mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And that ties back to what you were saying also of managing sideways, upwards and down. I hear those things in lockstep, like your personal brand and how you're known. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do the hard work. And it's it's funny. I feel like outside of marketing, everyone thinks marketing is so glamorous, right? Like everyone wants to be a marketer, right? It's so fun. <laughs> Not to lie, it is. Most of the time, it's very fun. But Not all of it is really fun. (laughs) And I think oftentimes people gloss over that. And it's the people who really do roll up their sleeves and like dig in to the ugly hard stuff, I think Mm -hmm. are the people that, you know, leadership will stop to say, okay, like they took on a challenge. And I certainly look at my team and our function this way. Like they took on a challenge that was really outside their comfort zone and excelled at it, which is always awesome, or maybe learn some things that help make them a a potential stronger leader in the future. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of things you want to reward. Yeah, 
Freedom to fail for sure. Mm-hmm. The big deal. So let's just keep this thread going. Let's get into problems. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of those gnarly problems where maybe you've wrestled it to the ground, maybe it wrestled you to the ground? Tell us about some of those evergreen problems, some of the things that maybe are native to the kind of work you've done, or maybe you've just seen or you found an interesting solution for or can just really empathize with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think in today's world, the data challenge is probably one of the gnarliest challenges we're having to dig into. So how much data we really have, getting access to it, cleaning it, making sure it's high quality, augmenting it where we need to. So gathering more data, particularly as we see changes in first party data becoming so much more important now as cookie policies are changing, as we see a lot of regulation around data privacy managing that large volume of data and then being able to use it effectively. Mm -hmm. So wrapping your arms around it is step one, right? Step two is how do I actually use it to A, make decisions that will help make my operation or a function more efficient or effective, right? How can I use it to drive more operational efficiency? But then also how can I use it to better target audiences? How can I use it to get more engaged with existing audiences. And those are challenges that are really big for an organization, particularly for an organization the size of ours. That is one of the the big problems, problems, opportunities, the big opportunities on the horizon. And I think we're doing, I, I won't say we've solved it, we certainly haven't, but we're getting much smarter about how we break down this this opportunity into smaller pieces, right? What are the things that we can really get changed and affect quickly? What are the longer term opportunities and painting the vision for what we think it needs to look like? That in and of itself is, you know, building that vision is challenging, right? You don't know what's gonna change two years, three years down the road, but trying to articulate where you think you can go and what resources you need to get there is one of the big things on my plate right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great one. And how do you go about that? Like, what do you, what could you share? What have you learned that somebody could listen in today and, and apply? There's so much I'm still learning mm-hmm. on this topic, but really understanding your data sources, I think is a really big step. So mapping where data comes from, what systems are using which data, really driving to more harmonized metadata schemas and taxonomies, right? Putting some of the rigor in place in your organization is such an important first step. Having a lot of data is great. If it's all garbage, it's not so great anymore. Totally. Right? So putting the structure and the processes in place to help make sure that as you build data in your organization, you're gathering it in the right way and you're able to use it. I think business process improvement is so, so important. And I think in the function in marketing, you're hearing a lot more about ways that we can take some of the traditional like supply chain tools and quality tools and use them like in the office, like use them for the function. So they take a little bit of tweaking But if you think about some of the continuous improvement tools that are out there and using those to drive business process and marketing, that makes such a big difference in trying to solve the data problem. And it's not always where our heads as marketers go, right? Like we're 
again, like big thinkers, creatives, we're storytelling, but there's such an important piece of the function now, especially that is really around the operation that's around process that's around data. And that's becoming so much more critical in the organization. Yep. And if I may, you didn't say this directly, but I think I'm hearing, sorry, that there's the making sure you have the data and then there's the processes that go with it for quality and quantity. And if those things are not at least in the same zip code, right, you get out of whack. Like we see this a lot where an organization has a ton of data, but there's been no concern for quality or no scrubbing though. And then you try to use it and there's this huge project in front of you before you can even do what you wanted to do, right? Right. Or you're so worried about processes and systems and quality, but you don't, you haven't captured what it is that you need. So having that all, is there anything that you've done or that you'd advise folks on to, because it's a lot, Mm -hmm. to keep all that moving at a similar pace? It's breaking it down into small pieces, right? You're not going to be able to do it all at once. So if you know you have a data quality problem, dig in and understand that problem, right? Mm -hmm. Take that piece of it first. I would say maybe not to take that piece first because the problem is if you just focus on quality and you're not focusing on the process of inputting of where you're gathering the data from, you're just going to keep feeding garbage data Mm -hmm. into your cleaned up database. Mm -hmm. My advice really is to focus first on what data you're gathering how you are hoping to use that data. Because the other piece of it is we don't need to gather data that's not useful to us. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we've thought about like, let's just get all the information we can about our customer. Okay, but if you're not going to use that data to make any decisions or to target them better, don't waste your time <laughs> trying to gather it, then trying to manage it, trying to keep it clean and up to date. It just adds more to our plates than we need to add. Mm -hmm. So focus on the data you need to drive the outcomes you want, build processes that enable you to gather that data cleanly. And Mm then, and and there's overlap in those two things. So it's not a sequential process, but then you can go Mm -hmm. and say, okay, now I need to go through and make sure that I'm standardizing the data already in my database to this new process or this new template. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that happens overnight. Right. Like we're, we're continuing to work on it. It's been years and years and years of focusing on it. But you get to a place where you feel like you're making more progress than you are stepping back to fix things. Mm-hmm. And that it's an exciting pivot point where you start to say, OK, now I can bring in more technology. Right. That can leverage that data to do better targeting or to do better segmentation or whatever it is you want to do. But until you get to that kind of sweet spot of feeling like you're making more progress than taking steps back, a lot of that technology ends up wasted. Mm -hmm. Well said. And you're right. It's not the sexy stuff that you read about when you're getting your marketing degree. Right. At at college, this is the stuff that's (laughs) critical today to be successful, but nobody's going to school to be like, I want to learn how to fix our crappy data. Exactly. I don't think anyone would sign up to be a marketer if they knew that that's a big part of what they would have to do, right? right. Or the need to become a master planner. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Planning is so important and really is the precursor to understanding if you're effective or not. If you're not putting a plan together and you're not building a brief and you're not outlining outcomes. How do you know if you're doing a good job? We all have this gut feeling like, oh, I like I love this campaign. It's so cool, right? We're getting great engagement on social. Okay, but what were we trying to accomplish? 
Like if that campaign was trying to drive pipeline, maybe you're not as successful as you thought you were. So Mm -hmm. making sure we're really clearly articulate Mm -hmm. what outcomes we expect to achieve, what purpose there is Mm -hmm. in the work that we're doing. I think Mm -hmm. that that's so important in like, again, building rigor in our processes and how we think about doing things and not doing things just because they're cool or they are fun, right? But doing things that are really going to move the needle for our organizations. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. So we talked about data quite a bit. I'm very glad that we did, by the way, because this is not obviously a problem that's, it's not an opportunity unique to Eaton. Right. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not been a single company I've worked out where there hasn't been grumbling about the data. So thanks for spending some time on that one. Not the sexy part, but. Not the sexy part, but (laughs) it's really important. important. And a universal truth of all modern companies. Absolutely. So fortunately, Leslie and I have a little bit, a little bit of a list and it's typically goes kind of in order. So I think it's a good transition from talking about data and the opportunities there. That all seems like solvable problems. To your point, you talked about breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, managing the process, managing the data, figuring out just what you need to decrease friction. Are there other opportunities that keep you up at night? I um, try to be as chill of a person as possible and not let things keep me up at night. But I also think there's so much content out there. There are so many channels we as consumers, our customers are all on and really trying to find that balance between getting the information that we think is really important for driving you know, the sales process in front of customers, getting their eyes on it, right? And not overburdening the system further with more and more, maybe not relevant content. And I think figuring out that strategy and that balance of what customers really want, how they want to engage with you, um, what kinds of content they're looking for, and the what we as marketers or maybe even what our business people want to produce. That balance is a really important one to figure out, but it's also one that changes all the time. So we were talking earlier about, you know, the changing landscape of our function. And I feel like that's one place where all of us are still learning, right? Which channels are the best channels? Like where do, where does certain content not only perform best, but where do our customers really want to engage with that content and to not worry then about the other channels, right? If your customers aren't there, right? There's that shiny new object syndrome that a lot of our businesses come across like, oh, I want to do the next thing. Or like there's this new platform or there's a new channel, but are our customers there? Are they looking for content from us there? So particularly if you think about social, right? There are so many reasons that people use social media and certain channels are better for some things and other channels are better for other things. And that this idea that you have to be in all of them, I don't, I don't think that holds true anymore. And I think we need to figure out how to pull back and say, let's focus in the places our customers really are. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they move to other places, absolutely, we got to move with them, right? But we don't need to necessarily mm-hmm. drive that train, like let the customer tell us how they want to interact with us. And that connects really nicely to the data piece we were talking about earlier, right? What data do you have that tells you where your customers most want to engage with you, where which content is performing best? 
And that might differ customer type to customer type, but understanding that landscape and then using that to drive your content strategy is another one of the things that like germinates in my head a lot. Yeah. No, watching someone try to be indiscriminately great at way too many things is maddening. It, it really is. It really is. And, and that push to do things and then you don't do them well. And it's like, well, mm. why am I putting resources in that? Why am I wasting my time in that when I could take those resources and putting in some, put it in something that's going to drive more return for our organization? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. And looking back over your career, having reached the level VP, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would do differently in your career path? No, I'm not sure if that would be a common answer or not. But I think I really like where I'm at in my career, right? I like the impact I'm able to have on the organization. I like Mm -hmm. the relationships I've built, the teams we're continuing to build. Are there small decisions maybe along the way I would change? Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would change any of the big ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Got it. Because I think it's gotten me to the point where that I am today, right? Yeah. There was a time in my career where different mentors were kind of pushing me maybe to think outside the function, right? To think about going into a business role, right? And and kind of commercially leading an organization. And that was probably one of the biggest decision points I had in my career to say, do I want to leave my space, right? And go and learn something different and then be able to maybe come back with that learning and that knowledge, Or do I feel like I can build development and build learning and provide more value to the organization in the function I'm in? And I made the decision to stay in the function, right? And to say, look, I might not move as fast. There might not be like, again, that ladder that's very clearly outlined for me if I stay here, but Mm -hmm. it's my passion. It's what Mm -hmm. I'm good at. Like I felt like I could bring more value to the organization in helping to drive the function forward and to think about new things. And it's worked out well for me. But I think Mm -hmm. that idea of really having sometimes the discussion with yourself to say, where do you want to go in your career for real? And that doesn't mean you have to want to be a CMO or you have to want to be a VP, right? But where do you want to go in your career? What skills do you need? to get to that place and then make the decision on your next steps as a way to build the skills you need to get to your eventual destination. And it might, and we talked about this earlier, it might not be a straight line, right? You might have to zigzag a bit, particularly as you, as you know, we talk about marketing continuing to evolve the increased importance, not just on content, but on operations. And if you want to get to a leadership role in marketing, you need to understand both. So what kind of lateral movements can you make that will give you those development opportunities and skills? And I think having spoken to a lot of people when I was trying to make that decision, right? Saying like, do I, do I want to go do that? I've got some mentors like pushing me that way. And I had a really mm-hmm. great conversation with a business leader at the time And I said, I I don't know if I want to do it because I don't know if I'll be happy. Even if I have to go do that, even if I go do that for two years, right? With the intent that I'm going to come back. I don't know if I'll be happy for those two years. Can I do it? Absolutely. Like I really didn't have any question about whether or not I'd be successful, but would it make me happy? And was it worth taking two years out of my life, right? Because we spend so much time at work, right? 
was it worth taking two years out of my life to do something that maybe wasn't going to make me happy just for the career ladder step it was going to give me? And for me, that answer was no, it wasn't. I felt like me being happy in my job and being able to bring that happiness and that energy to the job was Mm. one of the big values that I offer that I brought to the, Mm. to the table. And I didn't think I'd be as effective if I wasn't happy. I love that. Attitude is highly underrated as a quality and professionals. And I hear you really making like a Venn diagram where it's your mentor's advice, your self-awareness, and then the organization big picture, and maybe throw the fourth in of, you know, that self-awareness of knowing your attitude. Yeah. That's fantastic advice. Absolutely. It makes such a big difference. Mm. I feel like we need t-shirts that just say, will it make you happy? Will you be happy? And all mentors just wear it. And somebody comes in, whatever like, the problem is, you just do a Superman thing. And like, <laughs> like, like will it big. make you happy? You know, yeah, um, short not to be, not to be happy. Right. And I, and I do think, you know, to the point, Leslie, you were saying like, it is kind of underrated. We don't often think about, like we're thinking about like the, the salary jump or the title jump or the next step in our career. And we don't always take the time to say, is this going to make me happy? And then you end up in a situation where you're in a job you don't love. Mm-hmm. And like, no one wants to be in that place no. where you're just doing the work, right? Um, because we, like, like we said, like you spend too much time. There's so much of our lives are at work, like for good reason, right? Like we're hopefully we're doing good things and we're helping, right? Move the world forward. But yeah. you don't want to be unhappy. When you're doing that. Yeah, for sure. Can we okay. do the rapid fire round? Oh, oh rapid fire. Yeah. Rapid fire. <laughs> I know. I know. We didn't tell you about this. It's easy. There's no, there's no wrong answer. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. And you don't have to answer rapid fire, but we're just going to fire a few fun ones at you. Okay? okay. Yep. Okay. If your career is a movie, who plays you? <laughs> Oh, there are so many ways you could answer that question. I'm trying to think of the actress's name. Okay, so are either of you NCIS fans? I've seen it. I've seen it. Okay, so not. Not. Die hard. Okay. (laughs) Um, Oh, the actress's name is Pablo DeCody. And I think (gasps) kick-ass, like special agent, right? Great attitude, like problem solver, Um but also learning how to be more empathetic and all of those things. Like I, so maybe a, not a commonly known actress, but someone who jumps to my mind. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it like Zara or what is her name on the show? In the show. I mean, there's a little bit of alliteration there too. So (laughs) I clearly had to pick a character who also had a Z name since there aren't that many of us. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite KPI? Return on effort. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's the first for us. Oh, good. Really? Not yeah. always an easy one to measure, but I feel like in marketing, it's so hard to prove ROI, mm-hmm. right? Particularly in the way business leaders think of it. So I've always thought about, is there a return on the effort I'm going to put in, right? A lot of times, and I think that the sister to that KPI is is something we've been talking a lot more about lately, which is return on objective, Mm-hmm. Right, a return on outcome, right? What are you trying to drive? What's your objective? And like, are you actually doing it? That's yep. great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that one a lot. Okay, first job, worst job. 
So I worked for at a video rental store that's no longer around because who rents VHS tapes anymore? That was my first job outside of like your babysitting, like things sure. that you do as a, as a child. Um, and I did that for like from 14 to 17 or 18 by the time I went away to college and fun job. You get to kind of watch movies all day. You get to know a lot yeah. about movies, but it's also a customer service job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those aren't always yeah. the funnest jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very true. Who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? Oh, <laughs> fascinating contact. I don't know. Is it like brown nosy of me to say my husband? <laughs> it works. It works. I, it depends. Will he be listening to this episode? <laughs> I mean, I'll probably make him and then That's I'll get brownie the, okay, points for yeah. having said no, it good. was him. <laughs> Got it. You're all good. Okay. If you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? I have no idea. If I could be famous for one thing, being kick-ass at my job. Awesome. <laughs> Check. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. <laughs> What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Um, it's a compliment that I get often, which I like, which is I love the energy you bring to the conversation or to a meeting or so that's important to me. And it's one that I like to hear. That's great. Well, we've definitely seen it. Okay. Can you describe yourself in five words? Energetic. Literally, since we just talked about that. Smart. A good listener. That's three words, but it's one idea. <laughs> um, um, ambitious which I don't think is a dirty word and a good friend. Also not one word, but love it. So supportive maybe is the word supportive is maybe the right word. Awesome. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Sorry. This is fantastic. Thank you guys so much for the conversation. I appreciate it. It was a blast. Mm -hmm. All right. You take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us to increase the podcast reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorb.